Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. So we have finally come to the very end of our The Story series. I don't really know what number sermon this is. I think it's number 30 or 31. But this year 2020 has been a bit crazy, so it's kind of nice to have something consistently move throughout the entire year. And we've gone from the beginning to the very end, as we have just read in Revelation 7, no, 21, 1 through 7. But I'm going to tell you right now the one point I have for today. And what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and tell the story of the Bible with just one, one lens, one, one focus point. And it's this. New, the story of the Bible is about new creation, and it has already begun. If you're going to write something down, if you have your outline in your outlook, the story of the Bible is about new creation, and it has already begun. Who likes new things? Who likes getting new things? Christmas is coming up. I'm sure there's a bunch of new things you're thinking of that you really want to get, right? I think one of the best newest things that anybody can get, well, at least me, is a new house. Who likes a new house? Anyone like a new house? Yeah, they're really expensive, big things. When I was seven years old, we moved from a smaller semi-house, so a house that was split in two and, you know, and into a larger house. It was about an acre and a half, and it was, it was a big property farther away from the city and because we were getting older and we needed more space, and I guess my dad wanted more stuff to do with yard work. I don't know what he was thinking about. But it was a private sale, and lo and behold, the house was owned by my dad's old high school teacher. So we walked in. He didn't know this at the time. and We, we met them as they were showing us through the house. And what I learned really quickly was that I was a horrible negotiator at the age of seven. So this is what happened. I, I kid you not. I would walk into each room, and they would describe the room, and I would look into the closet. I would just look at the floors, and I would say, we'll take it. And then my dad and mom are like, shh, stop talking. And then we walk into the kitchen. I'd open up the pantry. I'd say, that's a nice pantry. We'll take it. And then I was so excited because I really wanted a new house. I was like, man, I am sick of our old house. I, would love, I love all this property. I love how great this looks. So we eventually bought the house, and we didn't really negotiate too much because I didn't have a lot of, you know, the kids loved it, so they didn't have a lot of leverage to actually move the price down too much. Uh, but what I didn't realize was how old and how dated the house was. The house was built at some point in the 60s, and it looked like a house that was time-stamped in the late 1960s. It had shag carpet, like the carpet was like probably, it was, it was brutal. It had like speckled, spackled ceiling, where it was like the ceiling was this tall down. I'm like, and you could like, if you hit the ceiling, chunks of paint would come off and hit you in the head. Um, there was a radio tower about the height of this ceiling to the left of the house outside because the guy who owned the house was really into radios, and he had a whole radio system basement where he could listen to basically anything he wanted anywhere, which is kind of creepy, but I thought, so we had to take that down. There was a lot of work that needed to be done, and I didn't realize how much work needed to be done. So over the course of 13 years, we took down numerous trees, we renovated, we completely took up the carpet, hardwood floor, painted the walls, uh, brand new kitchen, brand new basement, brand new everything over the course of 13 years. And if you were to look at old pictures of that house, and then pictures now, you would think this, these are completely different houses. Absolutely nothing is the same. It is completely made new. Something new has happened in this house. Yes, the bones of it are still the same. We didn't really touch the foundation, 
but you would not recognize the house because it is completely different. Throughout the telling of the story of the Bible, I want you to think of a house that is being renovated and being made new. I'm going to continually come up to this point of newness, of renovation, of new creation, and I want you to think of a house. Some of you have gone through that process of renovating a house, and you know the process and how it can be a long process, but you are so happy and thankful when it is done. So the story of the Bible begins with God creating the heavens and the earth, and he created humanity to have dominion and to help this ordering process throughout the entire world. God would be king, and God is king, but he gave responsibility to humanity, specifically to Adam and Eve, to cultivate the land and for God's will to be done throughout all of creation through humanity. This was God's picture and God's ideal for the world, and he said that it was good, and when he created humanity, he said that it is very good. But Adam and Eve had something else in mind. Instead, they decided to disobey God through eating the fruit, illustratively, and they decided to be kings of their own world. They decided that their will is more important than God's will, that their wisdom is better than God's wisdom, and they began the cultivation of the world through that perspective, where God is no longer king of them. And because of that, they are cast out of the garden and it sent humanity on a downward spiral of sin and death. You see that throughout the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the absolute epitome of human sinfulness, and the result is death. But God, just like looking at a house, a decrepit old house, wanted to make some renovations, wanted to make some things new in this house, in the world, in creation. So what he did was he chose Abraham to start this new project, this new initiative to where things would be made right once again and things would be the way they ought to be. So he chose Abraham and his family, and there was a whole story around that, but eventually they ended up in slavery in Egypt. And God showed his faithfulness and that he was good to his promises and delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and put them into this promised land. And in this promised land, they were to be set apart and they were to be a new humanity, a new human race, essentially, to where God's will and God's rule will be done, where God is king, and then the whole earth, the whole creation will be blessed, coming out of this promised land of this kingdom of Israel. That was the plan. But the problem that Adam and Eve had had not gone away. Sin and death was still a very real reality. And because of that, the Israelite people, God's chosen people, ended up disobeying him continually, continually, continually. And it got to the point where an invading army came in and completely decimated the land, and the Israelite people were sent into exile because of their disobedience and because of their sinfulness. The root problem was not solved. Sin and death. However, God, being true to his promises, just like how he delivered the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt brought them back into the promised land out of exile. But something was different. The prophets began to prophesy, and God began to promise that one day things would be made right, there would be a newness, that the house would be completely renovated, completely made new, and all the foundational issues that were a problem at one point in time will no longer be a problem anymore. And is, this is going to happen through this person, through this Messiah, through who we know, as Jesus. So 400 years later, Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus does exactly what Adam and Eve and us 
could not do. He obeyed humanity. He obeyed God perfectly. And it says this in Philippians 2, 6 through 7. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was so obedient that it resulted in his death. He was obedient to the point of dying on the cross for you and I, for our sins, so he could defeat the power of sin and death once and for all, for every single one of us. This is the point of obedience that he had. And as we read on in Philippians, we read, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus was raised to the dead, and when he was raised to the dead, what that showed was he defeated the power of death, which is a consequence of sin. So the root issue that had ruined the house completely is now solved. However, there's this in-between phase. Through faith in Jesus, which we learned earlier in the series, through having faith in Jesus, having trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are promised with this future new creation, like was described in Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Because Ephesians 4.30 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What this teaches us is that the Holy Spirit is like a seal. It's a promise. Through us having the Holy Spirit, we know and we have a hope one day that we will be made new just like Jesus was made new. That new creation will happen and newness of life will happen. And that is the whole trajectory of what the story of the Bible is moving towards. It is moving towards new creation. It is moving towards newness. It is moving towards a completely renovated house to where it's unrecognizable from what it once was before. The foundational issue is solved, sin and death, and life is what is led out of thanks to Jesus. Amen? That is the story of the Bible. However, here's a question. Are we supposed to wait for when God will make all things new? Are we supposed to wait for God to bring new creation? Are we supposed to wait? And what does waiting mean? There's, there's an erroneous and a misunderstanding of the gospel and of the story of the Bible, that when we come to faith in Jesus, when we trust Jesus with our life, that we then are just waiting for this newness to come, that we're just waiting for heaven. We're waiting for us just to be with God forever. Yes, there is a waiting aspect that the Bible does describe, but that's actually not a biblical idea of waiting, that we just go to church, we read our Bible, we pray, and while we do this, so we call on Sunday morning church, We're just eagerly waiting for one day when God will make everything right and new creation will happen, where heaven will come to earth. If this is what you think, I'm sorry to say, but you're too late. You're too late because new creation has already begun. I don't mean that figuratively. New creation has already begun now. And if you're waiting... 
you're too late. Romans 8, 18 through 22 says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, Adam, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation is groaning and waiting for this new creation. But if we read on, we realize why there's a groaning happening. In 8.23, not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship or daughtership, the redemption of our bodies. So this is, this is the image I hope that you're catching. So if we imagine the house, the house is creation, and it's decrepit, it's like, it looks like a house. Yeah, yeah, you understand it's a house, but it needs some serious foundational renovations to make it brand new. However, because of Jesus and because of the resurrection and what he's done, it's like the foyer and the front entryway of the house is completely made new. This new creation has already happened in the entryway of the house, and the rest of the house, if you personify the house, is looking at the front foyer at the entryway and saying, I cannot wait for that to happen to this room. I cannot wait for the walls to be painted fresh. I cannot wait for the plumbing in the kitchen to finally work again. I cannot wait. And this is where, if you read this passage carefully, this is where you see it. Not only so, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. Did you catch that? We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Who knows what a first fruit is? I think, I think a lot of you know what a first fruit is. Who has, a gar who has a tree in their backyard that produces fruit? Probably a lot of us. So every year, the tree begins to produce fruit and begins to produce things that are not quite ripe yet, whether it's a lemon or a mandarin or strawberries or whatever you want. But there is always one fruit that is ready above all the other, ahead of all the others. And this is the first fruit. It's the fruit that you can pick off, you can eat, you can taste, because it's ripe. It's ready. But the rest of the tree is not ready yet. You can experience what the rest of the tree will be like with this first fruit. You can know what the rest of the tree is going to produce because of the quality of this first fruit. So if the Holy Spirit is the first fruit, the Holy Spirit is the anticipation and the taste of what new creation will be like in the present. I'm just going to pause and let that sink in for a moment. The Holy Spirit is the first fruits of new creation. The Holy Spirit, God's presence, God with you in heaven, coming into your experience is the first fruits of new creation. It is the front foyer, the front entryway of the house is completely done and is ready to go. However, the rest of the house still needs a lot of work. And creation is looking at the front foyer because of what has already happened at the front foyer. Something new has begun. And the rest of the house, the rest of creation, cannot wait 
for new creation to finally come. I don't think you're convinced yet. I don't think you're convinced yet. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. I'm not taking this out of context. Throughout the entirety of the New Testament, you and I are not treated as old things if we are in Christ. We're treated as new things. This is not figurative language. That is just some image. There's a literalness to this imagery. You and I are new creations in Christ. When Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus and John, uh, sometime in John chapter 3 or something, he told Nicodemus he needed to be born again. He needed to be made new. And Nicodemus could not even understand what the heck was he was even talking about. I can't be born again twice. I can't, I'm not going to describe that. But it can't happen again physically because there's something brand new that is happening in your heart through Jesus, through being in Christ. You and I are a new creation. You might not feel like a new creation, but in a very real sense, the Holy Spirit through Jesus has come into your heart and has begun the work of new creation, of renovation of the house. And if we're the front foyer, the front foyer is beginning to get transformed into new creation. The new has already come, but it's not completely here yet. You are made new through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what's really cool and what's really exciting is that we are then able to bring new creation wherever we go. This is the story of the Bible. This is where it's going. We are able to bring new creation wherever we go because we are the things that are created new. That's how the logic works out. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal, his new creation appeal, through us. I think many of us know what an who an ambassador is or what an ambassador is. So I'm Canadian. I'm a Canadian citizen. And I imagine there's a Canadian consulate somewhere in New Zealand, maybe in Auckland, or I don't know. I don't talk to them that much. But um, basically, this ambassador of Canada in New Zealand is supposed to represent Canada in New Zealand. I unofficially represent Canada in New Zealand, but this person officially represents Canada in New Zealand. So if somebody wants to ask, hey, what is Canada like? They go to this, ambas this official ambassador, and they, and they say, hopefully, Canada's a great place. Everybody's super nice. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's a little bit cold, but we deal with it. That's probably what they'll say. So if we compare that to, therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, when people come to us and they say, and they don't even ask. They just want to intuitively know, what is it like to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus? Hopefully, even with some dialogue, they should know it means newness of life. That something was old and something has been made new through the power of Jesus. And we are invited to be those ambassadors who go into the world, into our different areas of work, whether it is at school, at the office, um, playing sports or in the soccer team or on vacation or wherever we go, 
we are given the privilege of representing the story of the Bible of redemption, of new creation, of what it looks like to follow Jesus, of what it looks like for God to be king, for Jesus to be king over our lives. We get to embody this and be the ambassadors of this reality to every single person we come in contact with. We don't always do it perfectly, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of new creation, may we walk into that reality and step into that reality that God has called each and every one of us to. That doesn't mean that every single time you go and see somebody that they're going to come and follow Jesus. It just means that every single time you walk into a different situation, context, or circumstance, we are then ambassadors of this new reality that I know, because I've talked to people, that people desperately need and people desperately want. Last week we talked about, we had Josh and Caleb up here talking about um, what happened at the conference in Christchurch. And a testimony was shared about how this guy felt like there was something missing in his life that he could not fill with anything else. And this desire within him that he couldn't even articulate within himself. And it wasn't until he actually met Jesus and found Jesus that this desire, this unmet need, was completely met. Yes, not every day is perfect, but this existential, inward desire is met through Jesus and through following Jesus. Because he calls us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to embody and to be ambassadors of what this new creation world looks like here in this semi-decrepit, sometimes really dark world. So what does this actually look like? What does it look like to be somebody who represents new creation? I think it looks like a bunch of different things. If you go on the miraculous side of the power of the Holy Spirit, sure, it can look like miracles. It can look like prophetic words. It can look like words of knowledge where you ask God to lead you into a certain context or circumstance, and God leads you. But it also, in the day-to-day grind of life, it gets really practical. It gets really simple. And you might be thinking, Joey, this is too simple to be real. This is true. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit. This is what this new creation looks like. And it looks like the fruit of the Spirit when it's really difficult to live out the fruit of the Spirit. And this is what the passage says. Galatians 5.22-23 through 23 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm sure, there's a bu- uh, I'm sure there's a few other good things that can be added to that list, but Paul kept it to that list. So let's think of our context. Let's think of our circumstances, situations that we find ourselves in, day in and day out. Maybe when you're in the office, you bring peace and a peaceful spirit when there's a lot of division and a lot of infighting and a lot of corruption or a lot of not-so-nice people. You bring a consistency of peace into those scenarios and those situations. You bring the new creation into this old, decrepit situation. Maybe when you're at school, you bring kindness where there's bullying, where you see somebody who is maybe not treated the nicest, and then whenever you interact with that person, the thought that they leave with is that person was amazingly kind to me. Or even just they have this thought where, wow, this person, every time I'm around them, I feel happier. I feel lighter just by being around them. That's new creation. Maybe when you join a soccer team or a sports team, it looks like just being faithful and consistent 
and being really dependable for the coach and for the players that when you are needed, you actually show up and do what needs to be done. Because there's a lot of flakiness in the world today of not committing to the things that we commit to. And just be by, by being faithful, you're embodying what it means to be an ambassador of this new creation of kingdom of God. And maybe the toughest one, when we're at home, we exercise self-control and gentleness with those we are most familiar with. That's a tough one. I think of any of them, that's the toughest one. It's really easy with the people we're most familiar with, familiar with to lack self-control and gentleness in those situations. But here's the image of the house. Little by little, in this in-between period where new creation has not fully come in yet with Jesus, but it has already begun through the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, this is what the world can look like if it's a house. The front foyer is done, and it's starting to spread. And then maybe the dining room table is sanded down and is ready to be stained. Or maybe the plumbing in the kitchen begins to start working again, but you know the kitchen is still really ugly looking, but at least the plumbing works. Or maybe the basement actually, instead of just being concrete, actually has maybe some wooden studs ready to go and set up to section out for rooms. You, can, you get the imagery, right? It's not there yet, but things can begin to happen. And they can begin to happen because the first fruits of this new creation of the kingdom of God has come in to you and I. And because of this ambassadorship that you and I hold, we are then able to embody and to show the world what new creation looks like. That is a really kind of a scary thing to think about. But I pray that we really embody the vision statement of this church. People growing through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's a really audacious vision. It's not just a glossy thing, Christianese kind of thing that you want to say and you want to believe. If everything that I just said is true about what the Holy Spirit is and what can actually happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, people growing through the power of the Holy Spirit should be something that we pray every single day. That we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be ambassadors of this new reality, of this new creation. This is what we are called to do, and this is who we are called to be. Throughout being a new creation, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and in inviting others to join in this project, we are living out the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is not just a story. It's a living story that you and I are invited to participate in. And we are asked, like in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, to invite others to that reality as well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for your love and for your sacrifice and resurrection, Lord. And we are especially thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. Through faith and trust in you, we can have the ability to be made new. That you are wanting to make something new inside of our hearts and inside of our lives. So right now, Lord, we receive your Holy Spirit. 
we receive your goodness of new creation into our lives so that not only can we just know you and be with you and have fellowship with you, but that we can be your ambassadors, Lord, and to invite others to have fellowship with you as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.